The reading is from the second book of Acts, starting at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Good morning, everyone. So this has been a bit delayed, but um, got there eventually. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There have been many things, many horrific things done since the book of Acts in the name of what constitutes the true church. But the Bible is clear. There is only one church. Anyone who believes that Jesus alone holds the key to salvation, is in the fellowship of believers. Because church is not an institution. It is not an organization run from Canterbury, Rome, or anywhere else. Church is not a building. This is not the church. We are the church. The Greek word used is ecclesia, meaning a gathering. We tend to view the church through our individualistic Western eyes as something we choose to do, not something we are. But if you are a believer, you are a part 
of the church. And I hope by the end of this morning's sermon, it is something you will want to be a part of. If you are not a believer this morning, then I hope that I will be able to give you a bit of a vision of what the church aspires to be. Verse 42 summarizes the whole passage. Maybe we could keep that up for the whole of the talk, if that's okay, Chris. If you are one, if you only remember one sentence from this morning, remember verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And I'm going to look at each topic in turn. First of all, the early church was a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I'm going to ask a very, very dangerous question. How should we judge a preacher? By how charismatic they are. By how amusing their jokes are. By how much their sermons overrun. I've just had a good chat with Sam about how long I should have on my talk, and he didn't know I was going to make this joke. <clears throat> should we judge them that way? Well, we probably shouldn't. We should probably judge them on the quality of their teaching and their faithfulness to the Bible. But note, in verse 42, it doesn't focus on the teacher at all, but on the learners. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. They put the effort in. They put in a lot of time and energy. This was not something they took lightly. They were serious. They devoted themselves. And why wouldn't they? It was Peter's sermon in Acts 2, verses 14 to 39, the end of which we've just heard read, which opened their eyes to the truth about Jesus, that he was God's chosen one, and that he didn't just forgive them for rejecting and murdering him, but he forgave them for all of their sins. Of course they wanted to hear more about Jesus. And who better to teach them than the apostles, Jesus' hand-picked followers, who had been with him throughout his ministry, who had heard everything he had said, who had seen everything he had done, and who had personally witnessed his death and resurrection. And in case we were in any doubt, their words were backed up by power. They were doing signs and wonders. They were doing the same kind of miracles that Jesus was doing. They had been given power from God as if to say, listen to these guys. These guys know what they're talking about. This is why their sermons went into the Bible and our sermons must always come out of it. That is why there is a Bible underneath every one of your chairs so that you can check that whatever is said this morning is in accordance with the Bible. And if you ever have any doubts that what is, not, what is said at the front is not in accordance with the Bible or the apostles' teaching, then I urge you 
to always challenge the speaker over coffee afterwards. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So here's a question for you. What were you feeling as I walked up to the front this morning? Was it, oh, I hope he doesn't bang on too long. Was it great nap time? Or was it, hurrah, I'm going to hear from Jesus now. It's the difference between receiving a letter from your sweetheart and a letter from your electricity supplier. When you receive a letter from your sweetheart, you can't wait to open it. You're in love. It changes your life. When you receive a letter from your electricity supplier, you probably should open it. They might be about to cut you off. You probably should open it, but you really have absolutely no desire to do so. This is a letter from the God who loves us. So why do we approach it more like a letter from our electricity supplier than from our sweethearts? Reading the Bible shouldn't be a daily chore. It should be a daily joy. Now, I'll admit that I am not great at being disciplined at reading the Bible daily. But this passage has once again challenged me. We should be making time every day to read the Bible. But more than that, we shouldn't just be reading it, we should be studying what we read, thinking about it, dwelling on it throughout the day. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Let's continue in verse 42. They were also a generous church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, because the way the word fellowship has been used in the 19th and 20th century, it sounds a bit quaint, a bit naff, doesn't it? Um, a lot of churches refer to the to fellowship time as the time after the service where they serve mediocre coffee and soggy digestives. <clears throat> St. John's does not have fellowship time because fellowship is not a time, it is a state of mind. The Greek word used here is koinonia, which means commonality or generosity. And it is to this commonality or generosity that the church was devoted. First of all, they were generous with their possessions. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They would sell their land, their goods, their properties, their valuables to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this was not a ban on ownership. Throughout the book of Acts, people still own stuff. I mean, they were meeting in each other's houses, so at least some of them still had houses. This is not a ban on ownership, but a spontaneous response to needs. 
when they saw need amongst their fellow believers, they were uh, delighted to meet that need. This was not a ban. It wasn't even a prescribed rule. There was nothing telling them how much to give or to whom. As one early church leader put it, a slave redeemed at the church's expense is a far greater decoration to the Holy Communion table than a golden chalice. Nothing we can buy can come anywhere close to reflecting the glory and love of God as can an act of love driven by, sorry, an act of generosity driven by love. This is why the church here today still continues in its mission giving, despite being short-staffed and financially stretched. It's why many people here this morning sponsor a child through Christian charities. It's why St. John's hosts the soup kitchen. It's why there's a box at the back for the Ealing Food Bank. But generosity is about more than just giving. It is about how we view everything we have been given. How do we view our car or our home? Are they for our benefits or are they for the benefit of the community of believers? Would you rather keep your car spotless than help one of your brothers and sisters in Christ take a load of stuff to the dump? Or what about your home? Is your home your space for your me time? Or is it another resource that you have been given with which to bring glory to God's? They were also generous with their time. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, I would imagine that for some of you, this would be your worst nightmare. Daily church. But the emphasis here is not on the location. In the first century, the uh, temple in Jerusalem was the focus of most of uh, social life in Jerusalem. The emphasis here is not on the location, but on the frequency. Every day, they continued to meet together, broke bread in their homes, and ate it. This was not about a formal religious meeting, but a sharing of life. And the result, verse 46, their hearts were glad. The fellowship of believers had a shared life and glad hearts. If we only meet here on a Sunday morning, it's simply not possible to build the depth of relationships that, the early, that gave the early believers those glad hearts. There's not enough time. It's far too easy to make chit-chat. We can be very British, can't we? Over coffee... I know you've had a bad week. You know you've had a bad week. I ask how you are, and you go, yeah, not so bad. Yeah, could be worse, so-so. And the conversation moves on. You can't build the Christian life in church. 
the early church met together daily in each other's homes. When we open our doors and open our homes, we open our hearts and open our lives. In a big gathering, it is very easy to pretend. In a small gathering, the intimacy brings sincerity and a deepening of relationships. Our culture says that we are happiest when we love and serve ourselves. The Bible says that we were designed to love and serve each other because we were made in the image of a loving God, the God who loved and served us so much by, that he would sacrifice himself for us. And it was God who was their third devotion. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread and, as more literal translations put it, the prayers. The breaking of the bread, I hope, is familiar to people. It's the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, the meal Jesus gave his followers to remind them of his death and resurrection, to remind uh, uh, us of the fact that he is our substitute to pay for our sins. But the prayers here refer to the daily prayers at the temple. They were devoted to loving and praising God for everything he had done for them and everything he was doing through them. They were united in their love for and praise of God. Now, the prayers here are corporate prayers. People gathering together, not only to praise God, but also to pray for their needs, to pray for the needs of the church, to pray for the needs of one another. Personal prayer is vital for our spiritual lives. But here we are also being urged to pray together, to pray for one another. The Bible tells us that God hears prayer whenever, wherever, and however we choose to pray. But Jesus tells us that there is something special about praying together. When two or three are gathered together, he is present in a different way to when we pray by ourselves. We need to pray through everything that we do as a church. Without praying, we wouldn't be a learning church. We wouldn't be a a generous church. We wouldn't be a spiritual church. Our best laid plans are doomed to failure without his blessings. Our best intentions, our mightiest efforts, they are all for naught if they do not have his blessings. Everything we do must come out of our relationship with him and everything we do must be done through his power. That is how vital prayer is. When missionaries first brought the Bible to Korea in 1885, the Korean people read this verse and took it very, very Seriously. 
They took it very literally, and it has become one of their central tenets of the church in Korea. Daily prayer meetings. Many churches there meet at five o'clock every morning. Yes, you heard me right. Five o'clock every morning so that they can get an hour or two of prayer in before work. Now, I can't say definitively, um, but perhaps this explains why the churches in Korea have hundreds of thousands of members and why 29% of the population are actively practicing Christians. Because they are daily calling on God for the needs of the church and for the... and this it ties us very nicely into our final point. Verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were a growing church. When people on the outside saw the lives of the people on the inside, they saw something that they wanted to be a part of. This was not the primary objective of the church. Rather, it was a result. Of course the church wanted the gospel to spread to all people. But their actions were not part of some strategy to achieve this. In fact, did you notice? It was not the actions of the church at all. It was the Lord who added daily to their number. The Lord is the one who calls people. And the church is the means by which he grows them. As John Stott put it, the Lord did not add them to the church without saving them, nor did he save them without adding them to the church. There is no such thing as solitary Christianity, just as there is no such thing as nominal Christianity. Are you a member of the church? Well, if you are saved, then you are. If you are not, then it doesn't matter how many church services you have been to. Um, You may well be part of the community, but you are not a part of the church. However much we would love you to be. So how can we, the church at St. John's, have the fullness of life of the first century church here in 21st century London? How can we be a learning church? A generous church? A spiritual church? How can we be devoted to and encouraging each other in our devotion to the word of God? If we are struggling to study the Bible daily, then there are excellent Bible study guides available. You can get daily verses delivered straight to your phone or to your inbox. The trick is not just receiving them, it's actually using them. We should be encouraging each other in um, our studies. We should be asking each other what we have learnt in the week. We should be telling each other what we have learnt in the week. In between discussing this week's Premier League results and the Bake Off results, we should be discussing what has really struck us in our Bible study in the last seven days. 
We should be having each other into our homes, simply to share our everyday lives. Do you know somebody who eats alone every night? We should be regularly having those people into our homes. To paraphrase verse 46, break pizza, drink wine, and give thanks to God with glad and sincere hearts. We should be meeting together to study together. St. John's has a program of connect groups where people can meet and discuss and pray and study. I mean, Lois has mentioned it. Sam has mentioned it this morning. Neither of them knew I was going to say this, but here we are. I'm not currently a member of a life group. As a natural introvert, I find them really awkward, but this passage has once again challenged me. I should not be making excuses. We should be delighting in serving each other in that way. We should be serving each other and ministering to each other. We should be asking ourselves, how can I use my gifts and abilities to love and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ? We should be asking ourselves, what can we do to serve each other on a Sunday? Maybe you could help with the music or the sound in the video, or the kids' work, or the welcoming, or the tea and coffee, whatever it is that you feel comfortable doing. I mean, if you feel challenged to help out with life groups or on a Sunday, or at the soup kitchen, you know, speak to myself, speak to Sam, speak to Jane, speak to whoever, if you want to work on, know anything about serving on a Sunday, speak to whoever is on that this morning, or during the week, call in at the office, There is no obligation. There is simply an opportunity to serve one another. And if we're not serving one another regularly, we need to ask ourselves, why not? What are we prioritizing over our brothers and sisters in Christ? Our job? Our fear of other people's responses? Our television watching schedule? We should be asking ourselves continuously, how can I love and serve the uh, God who loves and serves me and love and serve my brothers and sisters in Christ? We should be praying together. The church has a monthly prayer meeting where we can come together as a church and give thanks to God and pray for the needs of each other and for the needs of the church. But first and foremost, we must be building our relationship with God. Because without that, all the willpower and good intention in the world can't resolve the heart of the problem. The problem of the sinfulness of the human heart. As Jesus pointed out, and the Old Testament prophets before him, It is the sinful nature of the human heart which destroys our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. Whilst our heads may say society and service, our hearts say self-service, self-centeredness. And if it is the sinfulness of the human heart which destroys our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, 
then it is only by receiving a new heart by the work of the Holy Spirit that we will be able to have the kind of relationships that we were created to enjoy. Starting with our relationship with God. And out of that restored relationship will uh, flow restored relationship with each other. Because it is only when we look to the cross and understand that its relevance to our own lives that we will be able to understand the meaning of love and sacrifice and grace and generosity and having received them from God to be able to offer them to others. It is when we are relating to God and loving and serving one another that we most resemble the God in whose image we were created. It is when we are relating to God and serving one another that we will be the people we were created to be. It is by relating to God and loving and serving one another that we can best love and serve the God who loves and serves us. And the result? We will have glad and sincere hearts. We will be praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And doesn't that sound like a great state to be in? So let's go out and do it for his glory. Amen.